1: Hope that is not present in our life makes our hearts sick, but desire fulfilled is like a tree of life.
2: Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today we start a brand new message titled, God is not finished. I think we can all agree with that. Let's jump right into our message.
1: God is not finished. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with me, and he's not finished with what he wants to do here in Los Angeles. Have you ever taken on a project, though, and not finished it? Of course you have. I think we all have. I cannot begin to count the number of projects that I started and never completed. Call it maybe just losing interest or just lack of motivation. Whatever the case, I never finished whatever it was I started. I've also had an entire host of things that I've wanted to do in life, yet never got to them yet, I should say. But when I was younger, I owned a few Mustangs, for example, and this is one of the projects that I really wanted. Uh, But there was one Mustang that seemed to elude me. It's like Oh my gosh, had multiple Mustangs. My wife's second car of our marriage was a 1965 Mustang Fastback with a GT package with 140 mile an hour Speedo, Hypo 289 and Pony interior. And I used to come home from work and she'd say, yeah, I beat a Camaro today. Yes, that was my wife. Okay, but uh, anyway, so we had a lot of cool Mustangs when we first got married. But again, the one that used to elude me was the famous R car. See, the R car, Car was the Mustang that had a 428 Cobra jet engine in it. So in finally, in 1985, I found a 1969 Mach 1 with an R as the fifth digit in on the serial number, which meant it had a 428 Cobra jet. It wasn't running, but I was like, I finally got it. I'm going to restore this car. It's going to be bad to the bone. And then at that moment, all of a sudden, it's like, hmm, God put a call on our life to go back and help a church back on the East Coast. And I recognize I'm not going to be able to keep this car that I've wanted for so long. So I sold it for next to nothing. I think if the headlines in the newspaper could read anything, it was close, but no cigar. That's right. Sometimes headlines in the newspaper, they can say one thing but it maybe sounds like they're saying something else. In fact, I had these four crazy headlines that I found on the internet and they kind of are a little misleading. Like one of them said, airhead fired. What were they just completely clueless? No, it was the person in charge of the air traffic controllers was fired. Okay, but it made it sound a little different. Here's another one. Aaron suspect to be, you know, or I should say arson, arson suspect to be held in Massachusetts fire. Yeah, he's going to reap what he sowed. They're just going to put him right in the fire. No, it just meant the guy was caught in that fire. Okay, here's another one. Uh, Astronaut takes blame for gas in spacecraft. Hmm, did he eat at Tito's? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, uh, here's another one. Hospitals are sued by seven-foot doctors. What is this, the land of the giants? Uh, No, it was foot doctors that sued the hospital. Okay, you get the point. Yeah, it's just like these newspaper headlines. (laughs) You got it a little late. Okay, it's okay though. All right, so anyway, but sometimes these news headlines can be a little misleading. But there are many things in life that are just undone in our world today. They're undone. Things that can certainly leave us with more questions than answers. But one thing that we can know for sure, as a Christian, we can know this, that God will never ever leave us undone. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. He has a plan for us. And as we come to the end of another year, we have to ask ourselves, will we let him, will we let the Lord God have his way in our life? Will we finally surrender to what his plan is over what our plan is? See, not everyone is willing to do this. I wasn't willing to do this at one point. We were back east. We were back there for some eight and a half years. We already got to the point where it's like the church that we went back to help start, we weren't even going there anymore. And all of a sudden, now we're church hopping. And everything just seems like scrambled eggs. It's just like nothing is making sense anymore. And I remember standing outside in front of our townhouse. And I remember thinking, is this it? Is this what's going to happen? Is this our life? And I just remember the Lord speaking to my heart inside my head. It was like... Well, if you're not willing to give up the things that are holding you back from me using you, then it's going to be another year. And I just remember the Lord just shouting that in my head, another year. Like, what do you mean another year? You mean like if I'm not willing to let go of the things that are holding me back on the inside, it's just going to be another year? Because God lives in the realm of eternity. Does he look at any of us? Does he say, oh, you're not willing to let go of something that's holding you back. You've got some secret thing deep down inside that no one else knows, but I know that it's there. So guess what? Maybe it's another year, another year of the same thing. I wonder what area there might be in your life that could be wrong. Yet you've chosen not to deal with that area of disobedience, that area that you know isn't right. How sad would it be if God held back His hand of blessing from your life simply because we are not willing to submit to Him in every aspect of our life? Well, today we're going to look into the book of Philippians. Now, this book is filled with God's hope. It's filled with God's joy, and we need that. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, 12, talking about hope, he says, hope deferred or hope that is not present in our life makes our heart sick, but desire fulfilled is like a tree of life springing up inside of us. Yes, hope that's lost, hope that's put off, hope that we can no longer see any light at the end of the tunnel, that heart becomes sick inside because we lose all sense of hope. Yet desire fulfilled is is likened to a tree of life, a tree of life inside of us that's nourished, from within, from God himself. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. When you have the tree of life flourishing inside of you, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you have horrible circumstances or not. It brings a joy inside because the Lord is feeding that joy. See, the tree of life will bear fruit inside of us along, as long as its leaves are not withering also because, because God is pouring life into us. And when we stay firmly grounded by the living water of the Lord, Jesus is that living water, then he freely gives us that peace inside. Remember, Jesus promised us his joy in John chapter 15, verse 11. He says, not as the world gives joy, I'm going to give you my joy that is not dependent upon any circumstance. And when we have the joy that Jesus can give us, then our joy is made full inside. You know, joy in the original language means an outward expression of excitement. It's almost like when you're just smiling and there's no reason to be smiling, but you're just joyful on the inside because it's an inward intense happiness and only God can give that. It's a cheerfulness and a gladness that brings not just a little joy, but exceeding joy in our life. This should be at the very center or the inner core of every true Christian believer. We should have a sense of joy inside. Regardless, there should be a joy in every single believer. I've experienced this personally in an inward peace and joy of God. In times when I shouldn't be joyful, God has given me this. You know, and it's not affected again by things that happen On the outward. And speaking of joy, this very book here, the book of Philippians, you know, which was written to the believers of the city of Philippi, it's considered and known in the Bible as the book of joy. Now, why? Why is that? Well, for one reason the word joy is used seven times within its four small chapters. And that sounds fine until we understand. All the facts. For this letter was written by the Apostle Paul as he sat in the Mamertine prison in Rome, Italy, awaiting trial. Now you would think all we would hear from the Apostle Paul is about the misery of the clinging of chains and how terrible the food is here in the prison, or how cold the nights were. But that's not the case with the Apostle Paul. He goes on to write what is considered his most personal letter of all of his letters. And let's not forget, God used, through the Holy Spirit, used Paul under the inspiration of his own spirit to write one half of the entire New Testament. Think about that. He wrote half of the New Testament that we have today. And this book of joy, the most intimate book that he has written, he wrote it from a prison cell. Again, it's not only Paul's most personal letter, but it's his most encouraging letter in all the Bible to us as believers. Yes, Paul allowed his chains to be transformed into an opportunity to serve the living God. He allowed his misery to be turned into joy and taken advantage of this time of being bound to write the prison epistles. And his being bound, you know, into service for the Lord was his joy. Yes, the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, he uses this letter to give us all a lesson in becoming more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us. Now today, we're going to consider three points in light of our title, God is not finished with you or me. Number one, knowing his audience. It's really important to know who you're writing to. Know who you're talking to. I think Christians need to understand this because all of us should be actively sharing our faith praying for people in some capacity. If that's not happening in your life, you need to think like that has to change going into 2022. I need to be more vocal about my faith. I need to talk to people. And it's like, so you need to know your audience. You know, sometimes I think Christians get caught up in our own little Christian bubble. And, you know, we start talking to people that have no concept of God, no concept of the Bible and say, you know, brother, you just need to be, you know, just be baptized in the blood of Jesus. And it's like, Whoa, what the like, what the heck does that mean you empty out a jacuzzi fill it up with goat blood or something i mean like what what does that even mean we have to know our audience and talk to them in a way that they can understand what we're saying number two paul he's knowing their needs know the needs of the people around you your people have needs There's things that are going on in everyone's life. It's like, try to be aware of what's happening. And number three, knowing what to say. It's always good to know what to say. A right word at the right moment for the right person is just a joy. Has any of you ever heard, has anyone ever come up to you and just said, hey, you know, the Lord laid you on my heart and I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. I mean, you ever have someone tell that to you? I mean, do you know how good that feels inside? Know what to say. Be a vessel of the Lord. Well anyway, with all of that said, let's look at our first point, knowing his audience. These people of Philippi were originally known as the Kindites, and it's a, you know, it means a little fountains because of their numerous springs around the city of Philippi there. They were a Macedonian hill town overlooking the bay of Neapolis. It was Philip II of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, that gave them their name. He was drawn there because of the rich gold mines that were nearby. He was able to conquer this area in the 4th century BC. This is just another reason, by the way, for you people out there that are wanting to be more Bible scholars. This is why I love the Bible, for it's not some random book of fairy tales, you know, that are all made up about a mystical land named Oz. You know, I was watching The Wizard of Oz last night, they had it on TV. But it's like, it's not a land of Oz or Narnia or Pandora from the movie Avatar, some made up place, but rather the Bible is an incredible book that is filled with historical facts, with details from real historical places, along with real historical people. Philippi became a Roman province in the second century BC. It was 42 BC that the forces of Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius, who were who assassinated Julius Caesar. That's when Philippi became a Roman colony and they were located again in Macedonia. It was considered the gateway going into Europe and it served as a miniature Rome. Now Paul went there and founded a church in Philippi on his second missionary journey after he was called to go there by a vision that he received that's recorded in Acts chapter 16. And before he got that vision and everything, you know, there was a little uh, heartache there between him and Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was an elder, faithful statesman and, you know, godly man. And it was Barnabas that took the apostle Paul under his wing. Because if you remember, the apostle Paul, who was also known as Saul of Tarsus, he was trying to stamp out Christianity. He was trying to stop it. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was trying to climb the corporate ladder of religion. And he thought it would be a good thing to wipe out this new sect called Christians. And so he was out there murdering, beating, and putting in prison Christians. And so that's when of course, Jesus knocked him off his horse on the road to Damascus, and he was converted. But the Christians were thinking, he's not converted. He's a liar. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to sneak in to the Christian church. So he's going to act like, oh, I'm a Christian now. And, and so the people will trust him, and then he's going to kill us all. But it was Barnabas who had the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit to say, no, he's not. He's truly converted. And Barnabas took him under his wing. They went on the first missionary journey and started churches all over the place. And so when they were getting ready to do their second missionary journey, one person that they had taken with them on their first missionary journey was John Mark. And Mark, you know, he got into that first journey and he realized, you mean we're not staying at the Ritz Carlton every night? You mean we're not eating at Chipotle every day? It's like we're not eating at In-N-Out? You mean it's going to be hard? It's going to be difficult? The days are going to be long? The nights are going to be cold? Our stomachs are going to be empty sometimes? I'm not into this. I'm going back to mommy. So he sucked his thumb and left. I put the sucked his thumb part in there. Anyway, so he whined and complained and he left. So anyway, he's gone. But on the second missionary journey you know, Barnabas, you know, John Mark came back to him and said, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, I just was, I, I just had all my priorities wrong. And haven't we all made mistakes like that? And so he apologizes. I'm so sorry. Can I come on this second journey? And Barnabas is like, sure, young man, we'll take you again. We'll give you another chance. And the apostle Paul's like, uh, no can do. He's a whining, sniveling little brat. We're not taking him anywhere with us. And so there became a heated argument between Barnabas and Paul. And so they split ways. And so Barnabas took Mark and went one way and and the apostle Paul took Silas and they went another way. You know, God uses all things for his good. And it's like you think, but what good could come out of these two godly men getting into an argument? Well, they covered twice the amount of ground. And when Barnabas was with Paul, I'm sure Barnabas, the elder statesman, just kind of let Paul take the lead and preaching everywhere. But Barnabas was a mighty preacher himself. So God used that to separate them. Now they're doing twice the area, twice, twice the coverage. Barnabas is back to speaking once again. But anyway, when Paul arrived in Philippi, that's with Silas, he started preaching to a group of women. This is where a wealthy woman named Lydia in the Bible was converted to Christianity. Then a demon-possessed girl who was used to tell fortunes to people that men made money off of this girl started following the apostle Paul and Silas around saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God proclaiming the way of salvation Wow, you would think paul would be like wow this is great this lady's paving the way for us and we're getting all this free advertising from her but paul knew that something was rotten with this girl so after many days paul turned around to her and he says come out of her you you deep satanic evil spirit and an evil spirit came out of that girl and she was no longer able to tell the fortunes of people and she was delivered from satan that led to paul and silas being beaten with clubs and thrown into prison because the people that used to make money on her aren't making money on her anymore but that's when the miraculous happened you think like well this isn't going so good we go to start a church here in philippi we don't start a church we get thrown into prison there this isn't good but know this when it appears that all is lost, when it appears that the bottom is completely fallen out, that is when God is ready and willing to work on our behalf. Listen to what happened that night in prison as recorded in Acts 16. We're going to get to Philippians 1. We're just doing some background work here. But in Acts 16:25 it says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas, were crying and sucking their thumbs. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there came a great earthquake. Oh, we know what that's like here in Southern California, right? The ground was rocking and rolling so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been aroused out of his sleep from the earthquake, obviously, and then he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword and he and he tried to kill him. He was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. See, why would he do that? Why would he want to kill himself? Because in this day, if you were in charge of guarding prisoners and they escaped under your watch, your life He's done. They would kill you for that. Which brings up the resurrection of Jesus. You're thinking, wait a second. I thought we were in the, you know, starting a church in Philippi. Well, I'm going back to the resurrection for a second. Do you remember what happened? Remember when they put the stone over the tomb of Jesus and they sealed it with the seal of Rome? They put a whole Roman guard there. And so they started rumors when the resurrection happened and the tomb was empty, that the disciples came and they stole the body of Jesus. Well, the Bible tells us, it's like, no, what happened was the religious leaders of the day that had Jesus crucified, they said, we want to have a guard there, a Roman guard and shield the tomb. So Pontius Pilate allowed that to happen because they knew they were just trying to cover themselves. But when the resurrection happened, they went back to the guards who were fearful and afraid because an angel shook the ground and the stone was rolled away. Those guards knew that they were toast. But the religious leaders came and said, hey, we'll cover for you. And they paid them money to say that the disciples came. Really? You mean the same disciples that all ran and hid because they were afraid if they could crucify Jesus, they'll crucify us? So now all of a sudden these disciples are going to come and take on a Roman guard, take them out and then rob the body? It's such a ridiculous claim that secular historians try to claim happened to Jesus. That didn't happen. He rose again and those guards were paid off and they even paid off the people that were above the guard so that they wouldn't lose their life. But anyway, getting back to our story here. So the guy's ready to commit Harry carry, verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here like no one left. And he called for the lights, and he rushed in. This is the prison warden here. And he's trembling with fear because he's thinking, I'm toast anyway. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. You know, it's kind of been said, you know, there's no you know, there's no atheists in foxholes. Okay. When you think you're going to die, you're crying out to God. Now you might be all cool and like, oh, I don't need God. I got my life together. You You know, people that are Christians, they just have a crutch in life. Excuse me. This is not a crutch. This is an entire 911 word that I have in Jesus. But anyway, I get your point, but it's like people will think I've got everything I need. I don't need Jesus. Well, Earlier, what did it say in the scripture? They were singing songs and hymns and glorifying God. They're in prison and they're preaching the gospel to the prisoners. The warden must have heard all of that. But he probably thought, I got a good job. I don't need Jesus. All of a sudden, earthquake. The doors all come open. Chains fall off. Oh my goodness. Uh, My life went from secure to I'm going to die. And now he says, what must I do to be saved?
2: That's all the time we have for today's message. You've been listening to Pastor and Bible Teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word that's Core Church LA to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you.